Thanks, Matt. Thanks for the opportunity to share at Christmas. I really appreciate that um, confidence you put in a framer. So Christmas time, we think about Mary, and we think about baby Jesus, and we think about an unexpected birth. And so I'm thinking as I'm... <clears throat> excuse me, as I'm preparing for this morning's talk about the unexpected births in my family. I have four kids, four unexpected births. They, they, interestingly enough, all the boys come in, no, sorry, three of the boys come very close, all, all three of the boys come very close to Christmas. So we had three years um, where we had little tiny babies, a few weeks or less, four weeks or less old, uh, at Christmas time. I remember when Isaiah, we had Isaiah, our firstborn, he was about this big, long, from head to toe, and he was four, three days old on Christmas Eve. And <clears throat> something pretty special about having that newborn baby in it, it changes the way you think about Christmas, about that story, right? And we would put him, as our firstborn, so it's a very quiet household. It's very simple and peaceful. And we took him and we put one of those ribbons with the uh, sticky back thing and you put it, I put it right on his belly and we laid him underneath the tree. And he slept there, he slept there for about two hours and we have photos of him laying underneath the tree. And uh, now we have four kids and half of them are teenagers and we haven't had a quiet moment in years. Not even a split second of a quiet moment. I was... Uh, I was going to be in a play that year on Christmas Eve for a Christmas Eve service, which is again on December 24th this year, <laughs> in the evening, in the eve of the 24th. And, uh, and so we were practicing on the 21st for that play. And this is the days before we all had cell phones. And so I'm, we're practicing for the play, having a rehearsal, and I get dropped off at my house and I enter the front door and as I unlock the door with the key and I open the door and I step inside the door and I hear from upstairs, Trent, help! And I run upstairs and Carrie Lynn is uh, starting into labor, um, starting to have contractions, all the other things that go along with that initial moment. And she's scared and I'm terrified and he was supposed to come in January and this is two weeks early and this was unexpected to be this early and uh, that that shock just goes through your system I ran upstairs and I'd been I I was ready to go <laughs> I'd been practicing with my friends they had a football and they're I'm like hot I was like I got this case right Around upstairs. Anyway, long story short, we, we headed to the hospital immediately. And those of you who have had kids know it doesn't always come like that after one contraction, right? But we, this is our first, so we raced off to the hospital. We were there for what seemed like three or four days, walking in the hallway. And then finally the baby came in after three hours of pushing, actually, which was right at the very the longest amount of time they were about to give us to push. And then a good friend of Carrie Lynn's brought in a grape Slurpee, and it gave her the energy, and out Isaiah came. <laughs> and uh, so then the next one comes along. Anna is the number two. And, and so now that we've had one kid, we're, this is old hat, right? Easy schmeasy. 
contractions start, water breaks, all the things are going on, no problem. I got all the time in the world. I'm gonna have a nap, I'm gonna chill out. Let's watch a movie, let's do anything besides go to the hospital. And we wait and we wait and Carrie Lynn, she's like, oh, maybe we should go now, we should, no, no, it's okay, it's okay, we got time, we got time. And I keep pushing it off, pushing it off. I don't want to spend more time in the hospital. It was so long and boring last time. <laughs> you just sit there, waiting and waiting, right? And, uh, <laughs> and so, uh, thankfully, Carrie's not here this morning <laughs> to hear this. Anyway, so I push it off really long. Carrie's like, okay, seriously, we have to go now. I'm like, okay. But let's go through the drive-thru at McDonald's on the way. I'm hungry. And she, Carrie's like, I'm actually a little hungry too. Side note, those of you who have not had kids yet, do not go through the drive-thru at McDonald's on your way to giving birth. It all comes back. <laughs> it's terrible. Carolyn got sick and she's like, she's not very happy with me at all. Anyway, we rolled into the hospital and she's like, this is getting serious, Trent. And they, they check and she's like, okay, I need an epidermal, epidural, like this is, this is uh, really painful now. I need this epidural. They're like, oh, you're eight centimeters dilated. Too late. We can't do an epidural. She looks at me. <laughs> oh, man. That only, that pales in comparison only about a half hour later when she's pushing and the baby's about to come out and she's gripping onto my neck and it's, and it's breaking. I can hear cracking vertebrae and she looks at me and she's like, you did this to me. And I saw the face of Satan and it scared me and I gave my life to the Lord. <laughs> Unexpected births. I got to tell the fourth one real quick. The third one, sorry, the third one, Ben. Um, so Anna's born, and uh, Benjamin. Benjamin, we found out late, later down the process that he was actually in there. We didn't realize for five months. So we're five months along before we found out that Benjamin was inside Gary's womb, and. Uh, what added to that was that Anna was only 11 months when we found out that Ben was five months along. So I remember going home to tell my mom and dad, and uh, I said, we have some news. We're pregnant again. We're still holding two babies, right? <laughs> and uh, we're like, we're pregnant. And my mom, just she just started laughing and laughing. She just burst out laughing. Not the response I was expecting, but she just burst into tears laughing. And then... My mom and dad are laughing, tears coming down their eyes, and she's like, really? You're how far along? And she just burst out laughing. Anyway, unexpected births came to our family. They pale in comparison to the unexpected birth that Mary um, experienced 2,000 years ago. Um, she sings a song, it's called the Magnificat, um, which means, um, which means, my soul magnifies. So it's called the Magnificat. And it's a, it's a song or a, a, a prayer, uh, the, a poem that she wrote. And I guess, we, I guess she sang it. We don't, we don't have the tune. I've heard it sung by a number of artists. But that's what I'm going to share a little bit about today. Um, so if you'd like to just pray with me to start, I'll pray a prayer from a Christmas song. O holy child of Bethlehem, Descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in. 
be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell. O come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Amen. So at Christmas time, we listen to lots of songs. I'm talking about Mary's song. I'm going to quote a few songs along the way, and I think some of these songs help us to get a picture and feel the moments around uh, the events of Jesus' birth. So I'll start with a bit of a song. Uh, I'm not going to sing it. I get Levi back up here to sing it. He did a good job. Um, maybe his dad. Eric, could you come and sing this for me? <laughs> Mary grows a child without the help of a man. Joseph gets upset because he doesn't understand. Angel comes to Joseph in a powerful dream, said, God did this and you're part of his scheme. Joseph comes to Mary with his hat in his hand, says, forgive me. I thought you'd been with some other man. She says, what if I had been, but I wasn't anyway, and guess what? I felt the baby kick today. Like the stone on the surface of a still river, driving the ripples on forever, redemption rips through the surface of time in the cry of a tiny babe. The child is born, born in the fullness of time. Three wise astrologers take note of the signs, come to pay their respects to the fragile little king, get pretty close to wrecking everything. Because the governing body of the Holy Land is that of Herod, a paranoid man, who when he hears there's a baby born king of the Jews, sends death squads to kill all male children under two. But that same bright angel warns the parents in a dream, and they head out for the border and get away clean. So let's talk about the people and the places in this story, right? We've got Jesus, or sorry, Mary, who is a Jewish, uh, relatively poor, probably for, comes from a farming family. She's likely between the ages of 12 to 15 years old. Um, that's typically the age that uh, young girls would, would be uh, betrothed or, betrothed or uh, engaged, we would say, to be married. Um, in Hebrew, her name means Miriam, or her name is Miriam in Hebrew. So in English, we've changed it to Mary, but Miriam actually means rebellion. That's the word name for rebellion in Hebrew, which is interesting. Um, Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. Um, she is, I think, a wonderful role model and a, and a great example of a of, of, of faithful servant to Jesus, to God. Joseph, another character, direct descendant of King David. He's a carpenter. Um, they lived in, in a town called Bethlehem, which was an area... Uh, called Galilee. There's lots of Jews. There was lots of non-Jews in the area. It was kind of a mixed culture there. Um, it, it was the place where revolutions might start. It was the place where uh, arguments, discussions, uprisings, things would come out of this, out of this area of Galilee. Uh, there was lots, therefore, there was lots of Roman security present um, in this area. Um, it was also a place probably where in this mixed world, the Jewish people would be extra hungry for the Messiah to come. Elizabeth, if you remember her, she's, the, she's an older relative of Mary. She's married to Zechariah. She's unable to conceive, but, but then she was able to, and Colton, I think next week, right, is going to share um, about that. Uh, in our story, where, where Mary interacts with her, she's six months pregnant, and her baby would be John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. We've got Herod, kind of a half-Jew, practiced Judaism, 
but practiced a whole bunch of other horrific things. Um, he was a king that was proclaimed by the Roman, uh, the Roman government. Um, he, they gave him that, that title of king, king of the Jews, King Herod. Uh, he had, I think he had five wives over the course of his life. One of them he executed. He executed, executed two of his sons as well. Um, when, he was get, when he was old and frail and about to die, he knew his time was drawing near. He was worried that nobody would mourn his death. I don't know if you've heard this before. He's worried that nobody would be sad and mourn his death. So he lined up and arranged to have a whole bunch of important men in that community killed immediately after his death so that the masses in the town would mourn, would be in mourning. Uh, thankfully, after he died, the people left in charge didn't do that. Um, so those are the people, the events. Gabriel, an angel, comes to Miriam, comes to Mary and says, you're to conceive a child, a boy. You shall call his name Jesus, which in Hebrew is Yeshua. Say Yeshua, which means salvation. Say salvation. He'll begin to save his people. Mary says, of course, how? I'm a virgin. I can't be pregnant. The angel says, this is a miracle. This is a miracle birth. The Holy Spirit is involved here. And then Mary says a line which is, which is famous. Let it be to me according to your word. You've got this young teenage girl who is terrified, not only because there's an angel standing in front of her, but because she's being told she is pregnant, not married. All the, the, a world of events are pouring down in her head, and she says... Let it be to me according to your word. Imagine the days around her early pregnancy. Growing up in a Jewish, strict, religious society. Lots of us that are, especially my age or older, um, even all the way up to Brent Johansson's age, often grew up in a very strict culture, strict religious world. A small town where gossip travels fast. And here's Mary, pregnant, not married. Joseph, friends, family, neighbors, what did they think? What did they think? If I can, I'll read, a, I'll read a poem that just gives a little bit of the feeling maybe Mary felt in those days during her pregnancy. It's called Waiting with Mary. Where's Gabriel now? Where's the announcer of catastrophic news now that I'm found out? Where's my protection, my comfort? Who holds the trump card to silence scandal? Ah, what's to become of me, mere daughter of tradesfolk in this desolate backwater? Swelling belly, swelling anxiety, swelling danger while disgrace over my family looms. Yet I remember, yes, I remember his promise. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Me and my highly favored belly, me and my neighbor's raised eyebrows, me and my future husband's strained conversation. Ah, what's to become of me? Lord, have mercy. You know, jo Joseph was a good man. He didn't want Mary to be um, publicly shamed. You know, so he planned to break off the engagement quietly. 
just plan to do it off to the side, not be, make a big spectacle, not come to the, you know, the authorities and say, hey, look at what happened here. I'm going to break off this. He just tried to do it off to the side, right? He's a good man. You know, in some ways, you know, when the angel comes to him and says, hey, look, here's the deal. I'm behind this. You need to stay with Mary. In, in some ways, Joseph took on that, that shame, right, to the community around. He took on that almost admission of wrongdoing, didn't he? Mary heads off to visit her, her relative, her cousin, Elizabeth. And she walks in, she says, hello. In Hebrew, she would have probably said shalom, which means peace. We use that word in English too, shalom. And at that moment when she walks in and when, when Elizabeth hears her voice, the, the baby inside of, in, inside of Elizabeth's womb jumps. She feels the baby jump. And then Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Out of the blue, she just says this to, to Mary. She had no idea that Mary was pregnant. In fact, she had no reason to think in her wildest dreams that Mary would have been pregnant at that moment, right? And that's what she says. It, it would have even been shameful to talk like that. To think that she might be pregnant. At this moment in the story... It's filled with excitement. She's, she's with her, her relative. There, there's all these strange and mysterious words going on uh, regarding this unborn son. son. It, it's, it's so overwhelming and mysterious all at the same time. Filled with fear and anxiety. And then she sings this song. The Magnificat. My soul magnifies. I'll read it for you here. I think it's in your words to live by if you want to follow along. Or you can just listen. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him. From generation to generation he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of, the, in imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from the thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things to eat, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. I think Mary doesn't even realize it, but she's, she's singing a song that's talking about how her son will live and what things he will do and what things he will say. The lowly lifted up. Mercy on those who fear God. Scatter the proud. Exalt the humble. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Fill the hungry with good things to eat. Send away the rich. All these lines in here, it almost sounds like it's the material uh, Jesus used for some of the Sermon on the Mount. It's like a foreshadowing to his ministry, I think, in a way. And... They're radical words. They are rebellious words. Miriam, rebellion. It's a song of revolution in a way. Mary proclaims, God, God is going to cast down the mighty from their thrones. No wonder Herod sent out squads of soldiers to kill all the babies under two. 
He was scared he was going to lose his place. Jesus came to change the order of things, the way the kingdom, the way of the kingdom, setting the world back the way it's supposed to be, turning the world the way it is upside down with those at the top being flipped to the bottom. You know, it's the start of a kingdom, of a nation, of a system where power and greed and brute force are flipped and put to the bottom. And it's a nation, it's this new nation being called for where the meek and the humble and the peacemaker and the lowly and those, those who finish second place are put at the top. Remember Peter in the garden? Put down your sword, Peter. This isn't the kind of nation I'm going to lead. Remember the Sermon on the Mount? Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. My, my nation won't hate and conquer and destroy other nations. My nations will love other nations. My, nations won't my nation won't take sides, but love all the sides. Remember the Pharisees, the, the Roman rulers, the Jew, Jewish ruler, Herod? They knew this nation would put them at the bottom. Mary announces the start of a new way, a song of rebellion from the normal system. It's also a song of the lowly. Mary says, For he is regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Let it be to me according to your word. And Jesus was born in, 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 a, in Bethlehem, which was a farming town. And doesn't it seem like living in Calgary that all farming towns are looked down on? I'm from Melfort, Saskatchewan. <laughs> it's kind of like Bethlehem in Galilee. You know, in the Gospel of John, it says, can anything good come from Bethlehem? I don't know how many times I've heard that. Can anything good come from Saskatchewan? Just half of Calgary. <laughs> 60% actually now. And if you've been to a Ryder, I mean a Stampeders game, you'll know. Um, he was born in a cave, placed into the trough where the animals eat of. He came in with purpose into a lowly place. Into a place to let everybody know, hey, I'm at the bottom. Not just at the bottom, but a little below the bottom. Because the bottom didn't get married in caves and laid in mangers. I want it to be really clear, God said, that my kingdom starts from the bottom. You know, here we are today, 2,000 years later, oil is dropping in price, economy sinking, suicide in Calgary, or sorry, in Alberta, is up 30% from one year ago today. Almost two people per day in Alberta alone commit suicide. We live in a hurting world, a world filled with fear these days, I think. Syrians are fleeing for their lives. Countries debate whether or not to provide refuge. Horrific rulers abusing millions of people around the globe. Christmas is here. We're busy. We're shopping. We have to get together with family members that sometimes are hard to get together with over Christmas. We're exhausted. 
It can be a difficult season for many reasons, for many of us. I want us to remember that Jesus comes to us in our humblest state. Jesus comes to us when we're low. In a place where we know we need him. When we find ourselves saying under our breath, help. Oh, help me. Almost not even out loud, just under your breath. That's the place that Jesus comes. He came and he still comes to knock down the proud and the rich and those who think they're better than others. He came in a cave born by a teenager out of wedlock in a strict Jewish community, for goodness sakes. He was born in weakness and total dependence. He was born under the oppression of an evil ruler. He fled with his parents for their lives to a a foreign country before he even had memories of that event. He doesn't, didn't have memories of that event, but when he was just little, he was fleeing to another country as a refugee. It, it's a fresh take, I think, this season of this, this Christmas with what's going on in our world today and the Syrians to think about Jesus, our Savior, who is also a refugee. Are you weary today? Are you worn out? Are you... Fearful of the future? Are you worried about your job today? You know, he, he came in a lowly state and he still comes in lowliness. He comes to our lowliness. I love Christmas music. I love listening to the radio and hearing people that I know do not follow Jesus sing about Jesus. I love Sarah McLaughlin's voice. I love when she sings um, A Little Town of Bethlehem. I listen to the words and I love that they're being broadcast over and over again for a month straight on, ra- on the radio. And I pray and I wish every time I hear the line, where meek souls will receive them still, the dear Christ enters in. I wish and I pray that people listen carefully to those lyrics. Meek souls, receive them still. The dear Christ enters in. Then we skip ahead and think of Jesus again. That this, this song that Mary wrote is a foreshadowing of Jesus in so many ways. Remember Jesus going to the lowly? Remember Mary Magdalene? What did Jesus say? He who cast the first stone, go for it. Who, who, sorry, he who has never sinned, cast the first stone. Remember the lepers? Jesus said, come here, let me touch you. I'll touch you. I'll heal you. Remember the woman who, who kept bleeding, who'd been bleeding for years? Jesus stopped in the crowd. He's like, who touched me? Power just went out. Remember the crowds of the blind, the paralyzed, the broken, the hurting, the sick, the shamed, the outsider, the hated, the unwanted? They flocked to Jesus because they knew their place with him was different than their place in their world. That makes sense? Jesus says, hold on, I'll get to all of you. I got time. 
Christ enters into those who know their weakness. The proud, the better than, the I know bests. Jesus said they don't need a doctor. They don't even know they're sick. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, Jesus didn't have a lot of time for them. He was too busy mucking around in the mud with the sinners and the brokenhearted. Mary's song says, He has scattered the proud and put the mighty and put down the mighty. Last stanza of the song I read from earlier is is this. And I think it gives us a, a glimpse here again of something. There are others who know about this miracle birth. The humblest of people catch a glimpse of their worth, for it isn't to the palace that the Christ child comes, but to shepherds and street people, hookers and bums. And the message is clear if you have ears to hear that forgiveness is given for your guilt and your fear. It's a Christmas gift that you don't have to buy. There's a future shining in a baby's eyes. Isn't that beautiful? So, Mary's song is a song of rebellion. A song of a lowly. And it's a song of trust. You know, for all generations, she said, we'll call her blessed. We as Protestants have not called Mary blessed. We haven't called her um, the Blessed Virgin Mary as other um, parts of Christianity have. I think we've, we, we feared that we might turn her into an idol, as maybe some have. But instead of still considering her blessed and looking to her as a great example, we've thrown her out, um, thrown the baby out with the bathwater maybe, so to speak. Um, she's blessed because... In the middle of fear and uncertainty, probably being terrified, she says, let it be to me according to your word. She accepted her role and journeyed through the shame, the mockery, the impossible discussions with her parents, hard talks with her fiancé, fleeing for her life. She stayed faithful. Blessed because God chose Mary to care for his son. God who spoke the universe into existence placed himself in the womb of a teenager. What a mystery. And Jesus said, if we don't become like kids again, we don't inherit the kingdom. It doesn't make sense to us. And that's why I love Christmas. Part of what I love is the mystery and the wonder of Christmas. It helps me to be a kid again. You know, Mary, the teenager, the 14-year-old teenager, carried God for nine, month, nine months in her womb. Mary, the teenager, changed his diapers. Mary rocked him to sleep when he'd had a bad dream. Mary held him when he skinned his knee playing in the street. It reminds me of Benjamin sleeping on the top bunk in El Salvador. We had concrete floors with tile on them and he gets up to go to the bathroom half asleep and falls from the top bunk right on his head and he split his head wide open and it sounded like a like a gunshot hit the floor and everybody's awake instantly in our house and we all go, all go running in and and Ben's got 
a pretty good cut here. You can still see the scar. Check it out. Um, <laughs> sweet. <laughs> Hindsight is sweet. But I remember picking him up and carrying him. And uh, our friend who's a doctor lived a block down the road. And I ran. I'm carrying him, running down the street at 3 a.m. in the streets of El Salvador, a place where you don't go out after dark. Um, he's not He's not home. I banged on the door, nobody there, and I had to run all the way up the block and down the street the other way and got a doctor, and, and everything was cool. It was all good. Got t- taken care of. But I remember that, that surge of fear and panic in my heart going out to him, and I, I didn't even think twice about running around in the middle of the night in El Salvador. What I thought about was my kid. And I think about Mary. What she thought about was her kid. She smiled and watched him as he played soccer in the field. She comforted him when he got bullied. Mary watched as soldiers forced him to carry his cross later in life. Mary looked up at him when he took his last breath. Blessed woman of God. And what's really interesting, why I bring our attention to Mary, is because I want us to think how much God put his trust in her. He trusted this teenager to take care of him. But then I think he asks us to put our trust in him. He trusted his own son. God trusted his son. in the belly of a teenager, can we put our trust in Jesus? Are you weak? Are you weary? Are you fearful? Are you new to thinking about Jesus? Are you early on in the journey of even understanding who this Jesus was? Have you been around Jesus so long and heard the story so many times that it's lost its meaning? I would like to suggest that he calls to you, no matter who you are this season of Christmas, if you listen carefully. Because where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. This Christmas, look to Jesus in a new way. Jesus, the one who put his trust in us humans. Jesus, the revolutionary leader, who turning this world upside down, um, you know, he's changing the world even as we speak. Jesus the lowly, the one who came in weakness and chaos so that we could know that in our weakness and chaos and sadness and fear and shame that we can come to him. I've heard it said in a testimony just last week or whatever it was, one or two weeks ago, say, somebody said, I wasn't perfect. All these people here, they're perfect. I can't, I can't follow Jesus. I think Jesus makes it pretty clear that if you feel like you're not good enough, 
you're just fine with him. Can we trust him and say together that famous line that Mary said so many years ago, let it be to me according to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. Let's pray. Pray in your hearts as I pray, if you like. O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, we pray. Cast out our sin and enter in, be born in us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, O come to us, abide with us, our Lord, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.